I have an update for you. Oh no. Okay, it's a good it's a good update. It's scary every time you say that, just so you know. <laughs> Alexandria from Roll Red Roll. Yeah. She's quit smoking. Oh good. <laughs> How do you know that? She's been all over our Facebook page. She's like, thank you for covering the documentary. I loved your episode and I quit smoking. Oh yay! I know. Congratulations. If you're listening, we love you. Congratulations. Yes, that's a really big deal. It's hard. Oh, that was a really nice surprise. You know what I want to say to Alexandria? What? Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Uh, you guys, before we get to the show, I have no live shows to tell you about. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Should we just tell them about the Pates? Let's tell them about the Pates. You guys, Patreon, if you're interested in finding more Jillian and me, and who mm-hmm. can blame you, <laughs> on Patreon.com you can get like 90 full bonus episodes to binge right this second. Mm-hmm. We're talking Making a Murderer, The Jinx, The Staircase, Serial Season 1. Lorena. Lorena, Madeline McCann. Casey Anthony. OJ, Made in America. OJ. Uh... <laughs> You guys, there's so many different levels. There's ad-free. There's a special bonus surprise every month. Yeah, we have an after party. You guys are invited to the after party where we just like hang and chat and scream about things, which is, I know, sounds exactly like the regular feed, but it's a little different. We usually tell cool, fun stories in the after party. Yeah, not true crime related. So if you are pro not true crime related in the Facebook group, you will love the after party. Oh, there's so much there. Check out what we have to offer. Patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or just go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Uh, That's all I have for you guys today. Okay. Well, we have a lot to deal with with this bitch over here. All right. All right. Let's just get to it. Okay. Okay. Girl, I just gotta say, like, I've been really wanting to cover this case for a really long time. I know. I'm really fucking fascinated by Israel Keys. Yeah, Israel Keys, the idea of his existence is terrifying. I know. Because he has a lot of patience uh-huh. and a lot of anger towards women. Guess like what? I don't do. have either of those things. I know. I will say this I think Israel Keys is like way hotter in theory. Excuse me. <laughs> what does that even mean? How is. Israel, he's hot in theory. I don't know. Give me this. <laughs> I'm garbage value for that. Hot in theory? Israel Keys was indicted for kidnapping and killing an 18-year-old from Anchorage, Alaska. Her dad was just devastated. That was his baby. That was his only daughter. It's not the outcome we wanted. You said you got your monster. <laughs> We found out he had murdered other people. Israel Keys was one of the most meticulous serial killers that I've ever come across. He had stashed away these kill kits. He would have things like ligatures to tie people up, shovels, ammunition. We're talking years that these things would sit. I haven't seen anything like it. He did not have a pattern or a type. He would get a rental car and drive thousands of miles. He could kill anyone, anywhere. He's really only willing to talk about what he's willing to talk about. Once they give out the information, then it's gone. There are more victims, and we've got to find them. As soon as the video camera went on, I said, if she's here, we're going to find her. I don't know how anybody could work this kind of case and not have it impact them. Had to think creatively. There was no rule book. People never expect stuff to happen. I don't understand what would push someone to be so cruel. 
folks wonder why folks sleep with a gun on their nightstand. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, yeah. Oxygen, it seems like they haven't quite landed on a format. <laughs> yeah, because talk about random and not following a pattern. Like, I, every one of these things <laughs> has a completely different vibe to it. It's true, because the first one was, like, all Maggie all the time. Mm-hmm. Susan Cox Powell that had Stephanie, but mm-hmm. she was only in it, like, a little bit. Right. And this has no Maggie. Yeah, it has no Maggie. It's a very different way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. what I yeah. will say about that. All right, how do we start, girl? Well, we're in Anchorage, Alaska. Which looks beautiful. It does. Yeah, that's it's, all I have to say about Anchorage. Yeah, as it's... It's like October and 85 degrees. Right. <laughs> yeah. It looks extra beautiful up in Anchorage, Alaska. Anchorage is a really small community. There definitely is that whole, you know, last frontier kind of mentality up here. A lot of people who come out here are what we call end of the roaders. So you can get some interesting cases up here. So we we learn um, right away, you get some end of the rotors up in Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, I have. Anchorage is kind of far away and attracts a lot of real weird people. Yeah, someone's like, you can get some uh, interesting cases up here. Right. And I'm like, oh, God. Interesting never means interesting in this case. It's like, oh, so like exceptionally terrifying. Cool. Good to know. Thank you so much. I feel like there are moose everywhere. Moose are cool. That's right. I agree. You heard it here first. Right. We are pro moose. We- so it's February 1st, 2012, and we're at a drive-up coffee stand. Okay, so this 18-year-old girl named Samantha Koenig works in, like, a coffee hut. In Alaska, we have these drive-up coffee stands that are oftentimes in parking lots of businesses. Samantha Koenig is a young woman, 18 years old, and she worked in one of those coffee stands. At closing time, she's the only barista that's there. This sounds like a setup for a really bad thing to happen. Yeah, it's called Common Grounds, which is a great name for what it is. It is. I'd like to get back to, like, you're by yourself in the middle of a parking lot. Oh, we have to talk about the scary stuff, right? Yeah. Shit, I forget that sometimes. Okay, so we can't talk about what a witty name. The, okay. Ooh, focus, focus, focus. All right, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But it's one of those places where you can only order at the window. It's not like you can go in and, like, chill with your friend. You can only order at the window, and right. everybody has a gun because it's Alaska. Uh-huh. So the thing is about Samantha, her boyfriend was going to pick her up, yeah. and he goes to pick her up and she's not there and so he goes to samantha's dad's house and that's when he gets a text from samantha's phone saying hey everybody i'm spending a few days with friends tell my dad they'd had a relationship for about nine and a half months and he knew this was not samantha just a couple things about it this. already doesn't sound like samantha no <laughs> that's a weird text to send to any i'm sorry it's a very weird text this is another one of those things that like always gets me we're like well samantha's just missing i guess we'll wait till morning to do anything about it wouldn't you be out there looking yes you know what i mean like, like th- what friend samantha calling every friend she you know that she has like yeah. wait, saying with who with it, whom with who it doesn't matter right. now it gets really scary you guys because we see the security tape of what happened so what happens is the dad goes to the cops the next day. Yeah, I hope they've been on the phone for 12 hours trying to have the best possible outcome instead of just assuming that the worst has happened. (laughs) I'm hoping that they're up all night scouring Alaska for her. So the police go to the manager. The manager pulls the security footage Mm -hmm. and we see the most terrifying thing you can possibly imagine. So we see the security footage from inside the little hut. A man came to the little kiosk window at 8 o'clock Samantha made a coffee drink for him, turned back around, and then you can tell she's shocked. You see her body language change. She goes from someone who's just serving someone a coffee to being very nervous and very concerned. 
again, stranded by herself in the I middle know. of a dark parking lot in the middle of Alaska. Right. Not a great idea for business, you guys. I know. So somebody comes up to the window, orders a coffee drink. Samantha makes the drink. She turns back around and she jumps like 14 feet in the air. You could see, and you know that footage, we always talk shit about it. It's choppy. It's, yeah, it's yeah, never yeah. clear. But you can see the way her whole body, like, like there's a trampoline <laughs> below her suddenly. <laughs> she like jumps, knocks over all the to-go cups. She jumps back and like, I, you just think like, God, what did she, what was she seeing I to know. make her react? It's not like she froze. Yeah. She jumps back and she's terrified. So then we are told that she is told to turn off all the lights. Right. You see her. She's just like, okay. Yeah. So she's assuming that they're being robbed. Right. She has no idea what's in store. So she's kind of doing the whole like, okay, like doing what he wants, laying on the floor, doing yeah. whatever. He's just going to rob the coffee place and be on his, his way. way. But then like one of our talking heads tells us. It just didn't come across to her that she was in danger until he starts, you know, walking her out of because you see him climb through the window. He pulls himself. And again, it's so grainy. You would never be able to identify this person. I know. Why can't we get a better camera? And you know he told her to turn the lights off because he knew there was a camera in there. 100%. And even if the lights were on, guess what, Israel? We still wouldn't have identified right. you until much later. <laughs> so then we learned that like it wasn't until he's basically pushing her out the door with the gun right. that she realizes that she's in big trouble because he's taking her with him. Right. And then they both leave the coffee stand and disappear out of sight of the camera. Yeah. God. It's horrifying. Ugh. So her dad, of course, is, quote, raising hell, right. as he should. <laughs> Can you imagine if it were my kid? No. I'd be <laughs> all over Alaska. Yeah, all the dogs would be howling and right. awake. It's only a register that they can hear. <laughs> the tides would change because the vibration of it, the waves would be different. It would be a, it's a mild earthquake. It registers at like a 2.6 yeah, on the Richter. Yeah. On the Richter. Oh, God, you only care about your kid at 2.6 <laughs> <Right>. worth. <laughs> <laughs> so he arranges a search party. The next day, um, her dad was raising hell about this, trying to figure out where his daughter went. Use this area as a meeting place because this is where my daughter was taken from. Right. Like you do. And the thing is, the, this whole community is up in arms. This is like one of their own. And, and everyone's like, this is Alaska. Like She can't be too far. People were just literally like, whose basement is she in? Whose door do we have to go knock down to find her? There wasn't any narrative for people to, to understand what happened. Right. There are T-shirts made, pens made, flyers, reward money. There's a candlelight vigil. Like hundreds of people show up. It's so heartbreaking to hear because someone yells out, like, what else can we do? Right. Like standing here is great and we'll like em emotional support will do that. But like what actions can we take yeah. to really get things moving? And someone's like, thoughts and prayers. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> No. And so then we're told very early in the investigation they get like a new lead because another local business with a security camera picks up the rest of the scene that got cut off when they left the coffee hut. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like marching to Israel Keys' like truck. We're able to determine that Samantha walked to a white pickup truck and then the truck drives away. And then we get like, you know, we were able to estimate that it's from between like 1999 and 2007. It was a white car. And Can I'm I like, ask you a question? is that really narrowing it down? I was like, that's what I said. I was like, that's like eight years worth of cars. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now, I also don't know if cars get updated every year. <laughs> it's not like my computer that forces itself to shut down for seven hours. Get a Mac. <laughs> so How dare you. <laughs> I will. I've earned the right. <laughs> it's true. 
<laughs> after a hundred episodes of this nonsense, just get a Mac. <laughs> like, but I know, like, if cars get updated or whatever, like, I can't imagine they look that different, which no. makes it even worse. So right. it's just eight years worth. Like, what? What did the nineteen ninety eight? white pickup truck look like as opposed to the 99. But it's like that's when we learned that they run to the FBI database you're like put in this truck between these years in this town it can't be that many right? They're like it was several thousand. It was like 25,000 cars and everyone's like oh. Because it's Alaska and everyone needs a goddamn truck. Right and that's the thing so this is getting bigger than the local police. Yeah. Because they see her being dragged into a car and so now the FBI is involved. I was going to say no offense but like when a guy puts a gun in a thing and climbs through a window and drags a girl out by her hair. It's a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Call the goddamn FBI. It starts as a big deal. That's right. right. When someone's missing, it's already like it's just in the big deal column. (laughs) To begin with. Exactly. Thank you. But then we meet Q the Dolly. Jolene. 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 Anyway, Jolene's a badass. And basically we learn like she's kind of introduced by other people and all the all the men, thank God, are just like, oh, she's a badass. You totally want her on your side. Yeah, and, totally. we, and we got her. The FBI assigns Jolene Godin as the lead investigator. Jolene's pretty well known as someone who's a top agent. And one thing Jolene excels at is she can delve into somebody's history with the best of them. They are totally saying like, well, for a woman, she's great. You know, like in the, like that's their thought bubble above their head. Yeah, I chose to change it for them. Right. <laughs> You're welcome. I fixed it. As Twitter would say, there, I fixed it. She's a badass. You want her on your side. And uh-huh. here she is. But then they tell us that the investigation hits a stone wall. Not yeah. to be confused with Stonewall. No, no, no. Every night's, every a, night's riot. a goddamn riot. <laughs> no, quite the opposite because like two and a half weeks and they get nothing. Right. Until something terrible happens. So two and a half weeks after she went missing, the boyfriend gets a text on his cracked phone, which we sure. see again, still cracked, from her phone. Right. And they say that he goes like sheet white. And so the text just says... Basically, it says, Connors Park, underneath Albert Pick, ain't she purdy? That makes my whole, like, I can feel it in my cheeks. Ain't she purdy is so vile. Doesn't it make you want to, like... The whole thing is so awful because I'm not trying to be funny when I'm saying this. Yeah. After two and a half weeks, she's not alive anymore. No, no, no. Two and a half weeks, no contact, she's not alive anymore. But, of course, when you're in the situation, you can't believe that. So the dad and the boyfriend drive to this place, which is, like, 30 miles away. With the authorities. With the authorities, of course. And there's, like, a sandwich bag, like, tacked to this bulletin board. Mm -hmm. And there's a ransom note and a picture. Picture of Samantha. Now, in the photo, she has tape over her mouth. Yeah. And we are told that the photo was intentionally made to look a little fuzzy and not 100% clear and crisp. But so her dad, Samantha's dad, after taking a lot of time to consider it and probably have to say the, the worst thing you could possibly say, yes, that's my daughter. Yes, that's Samantha. That's her. Yeah. Yeah. So they took the photograph to her father for him to identify it. And he, after looking at it for a long time, said, yes, that's Samantha. But her hair was in a braid, and Samantha never wore her hair that way. So, and then in the ransom note, this guy, whoever it is, it's Israel Keys, but we don't know that yet. (laughs) He demands that $30,000 get put in, in Samantha's bank account. Right. And so the whole idea is that like he has access to her bank account through her debit card or whatever. And that's how the murderer is going to access the money. So the police get involved. What they do is they put like a portion of the $30,000 that was asked for in the ransom note in the bank account. Right. The police and the family will be alerted as soon as the debit card is used. I told them he's going to use her debit card. If he was going to do something stupid, that was going to be the one thing he did that was stupid. 
because we could find him. They had worked out a deal with the bank so that Anchorage Police Department and the FBI would be notified immediately when the debit card was used for anything. Right, so he's using the debit card, three different ATM withdrawals, 500 bucks, the daily limit. Yeah. And all these alerts are going off. And then by the time they get to him, like the cops are dispatched. By the time they get to the ATM, he's not there. And they just miss him three times. As soon as the alerts came, we dispatched law enforcement there as quickly as we could. But we were literally minutes behind him. The thing is, we're seeing, like, because it's a documentary, we're seeing the video of, like, the ATM Mm -hmm. place. It's so terrible. It's, like, out of a fucking horror movie. It's a guy, like, either in a ski mask with, like, with sunglasses or, like, the hood. I mean, he's and he's looking like tauntingly into the camera, right? Being like, "Here I am," but you can't see me, right? It is so you can't write it; it's so terrifying, right? So this was in February, remember? Yeah. Then it stops. These three ATM withdrawals, they can't get them, and then everything goes silent. Can you imagine? I just cannot imagine how awful that no. is. No, 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 I can't either. Because then on March seventh. We get a withdrawal from where? Arizona? (laughs) What the what? And everyone's shocked. Everyone is shocked. Then there was another withdrawal in Lordsburg, New Mexico. The next withdrawal was March 10th in Humble, Texas. And then shortly after, there was a withdrawal in Shepherd, Texas. Each time this money was withdrawn, it was withdrawn by a person wearing a mask. It's the same terrifying footage as this guy like in ski masks and hoods. It's so scary to me. Let me ask you something. Yeah. I know that there are flaws in this, but can we make it so that the security camera like can see if you're wearing a mask and if you are, you're not allowed to take out the money or something? Can we? I'm. I'm. Listen, that's a million dollar idea right there. Like, because they can tell everything. Like, like just scan your face, (laughs) and if your face is totally covered, Uh you can't take out the money. Is that crazy? Is that like impeding on people's rights or whatever? Tell me where the flaws are in that. What if it's like again? If it's super, if it's snowing and it's a blizzard and you're wearing that thing, well, oh, you're wearing a mask, then you have to go inside to take care of your money. I know, I'm with you. So what they are able to see in the background though is he's driving a, a white Ford Focus. Mm-hmm. They put out an APB like a boop, 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 like all points bulletin. Uh huh. You guys, everyone in Texas, be on the goddamn lookout for a white Ford Focus, maybe with out of state plates. This guy's bad news. You want to say Ford Bronco, didn't you? <laughs> Wow, I five, did. Five episodes of OJ. Yeah. A white Ford Bronco. Like, it's just, it rolls off the tongue at this You're point. Right. A white Ford Focus. That just doesn't feel right. <laughs> white Ford Bronco. And so this one hero cop, can we get a hero bell for yeah. this guy? Sees a Ford Focus. He thought, this looks kind of like the car they're looking for. Vehicle makes a traffic infraction and he's able to pull him over. Look, this is why I'm not a cop. We shit on cops all the time because we only ever hear of the bad cops. Oh, yeah. Cops are so fucking brave and they put their lives on the line every single day. Yeah. This hero cop sees a white Ford Focus and he's like, I'm going to pull this bitch over because he might be the guy we're looking for. And the thing is, he pulls him over for a traffic violation, which is again like, you know, Son of Sam with the parking tickets yeah. and Al Capone tax evasion, like these idiots. So he pulls him over and the guy inside hands mm-hmm. him an Alaska driver's license. Girl. It's goddamn Israel Keys and he knows it. And then we see the video footage of him getting arrested. Yeah. Which again, like I'm obsessed with Israel Keys. I've been following this case. I'm telling you, it was riveting to see this footage. I've never seen yeah, this. Yeah, because he didn't put his blinker on. What do you think about like how this happened? I know. This, this He's a very organized person. Yeah. 
and this is how we get him. I love shit like this. The thing about it, though, is that, like, in the trunk of the car, they find a gun, uh-huh. and they find Samantha's cell phone and her debit card, but there's no Samantha, who was kidnapped in Alaska, which is 15 billion miles away. Right. Where's Samantha? Right. And then in my notes, I have, you guys, they goddamn got him. Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then I just say, not so fast, we're only 15 minutes in, this thing is an hour and a half, and where's Samantha? <laughs> exactly. So they know this is their guy and they can arrest him on like the debit card charge. Samantha Koenig is missing. Right. He has her clothes and her stolen ATM card. Like they're just like, this is the easiest arrest we've ever made. Obviously they're arresting him instantaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we learn it's 34 year old Israel Keys. Sing. And they have a ton of evidence at this point. So they sit down with him. Right. And they're like, hey girl. We have a lot of evidence at this point. We go back to his house. We identify his truck from the video surveillance. So the U.S. Attorney's Office sets up a meeting with Key's defense attorney, and ultimately it's an opportunity for us to to show him what evidence we have in an effort to get Keys to cooperate with us. He kind of like sings like a canary from the minute one. Yeah, because they want to know where Samantha is. And they're hoping that she's still alive at this point. So they're hoping that they can get him to talk. Because I guess you never really know. Once you sit down with someone and Uh you're like, here's what we can offer you. Like, maybe they'll start talking. Maybe they won't. But maybe you can get some very valuable information out of these murderers. They also don't know that he's a serial killer. They only think that he's the guy who, like, like, kidnapped this girl. Right. They know him as, like, 34-year-old Israel Keys, period. Right. Not 34-year-old Israel (laughs) Keys, comma. Oxygen documentary series about him. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, they have no idea. So in the first meeting, apparently he doesn't talk. And then he goes away. And a few days later, he agrees to come back and give a full confession. Well, not only does he not talk, but Frank Russo, former assistant U.S. attorney, just goes. We talked to him for about a half hour, 45 minutes. He wasn't very impressive. He just looked like a clean cut, regular guy. He wasn't very impressive. (laughs) Frank Russo has no use for him at first in their first 45 minute meeting. He wasn't very impressive. Don't get it twisted, Oxygen. So he comes back in. He's going to give a full confession, but he's got a couple demands, Jillian. And this is where we start getting the real audio of these conversations with Israel Keys. And it is so scary because it all comes back. You know what my pattern is? What? Laughter. (laughs) Oh, my God. His laughter is utterly terrifying. He punctuates everything with laughter. And And when I say everything, he's talking about, like, rape and murder and burying bodies and kill kits. Yeah. And he thinks it's hilarious. Kill kits. Just say that again. Kill kits. I don't want (laughs) to. I have to later. I don't want to do it now. I don't want to. It's so fucking awful. I can give you the rest of the story, like, you know, everything that happened. If I get a cigar. (laughs) But Israel Keys, in order to spill the Israel Keys tea, Uh he wants a cigar, an Americano, and a peanut butter Snickers bar. Right. Three very important things, according to him. You know what I was thinking about in this? Because the Snickers bar comes back over and over and over again. If I'm the Snickers people, every time I'd be like, oh, God, don't say it. I know. Oh, God, don't say it again. I know. Even the FBI is like, at the time, we thought we're pretty silly. But if that's what it was going to take for him to talk with us... We're willing to do that. Silly, this guy's murdered 80 people. I know, but they don't know that. So they're like, you know, we need to know where this girl is. 100%. He wants a goddamn Snickers bar. Like, fine. Yeah, and so we're getting the actual audio of this confession. We get on 
screen text that says, Israel Keyes' confession is so shocking and so graphic, the FBI has never released the full tape. And I think it's not only the content, which is, I'm not taking away the weight of that, but it's because how cavalier he is about it. I think the laughing makes yeah. it shocking and more graphic that he's saying it in this cold, calculating, like he's he, like he's solving a math problem or he's reading like an instruction manual as yeah. opposed to having any like care about a human being. So we find out that Samantha, the girl that he kidnapped from the coffee stand, he brought her home and like put her in the shed next to his house. He had a shed in his driveway and ultimately he put Samantha in the shed and she's bound in the shed. There he was drinking alcohol and smoking cigars and then turned up the music so that any sounds that were irregular wouldn't be heard by his girlfriend, daughter, who were in the house or the neighbors. I have heard of this shed in all of the reading I've done on this case. I imagined it's Alaska. The shed is like way in the backyard or something. This shed is literally attached to the house. Where Israel's girlfriend and 10-year-old daughter were in the house. Yeah. This was happening mere yards away from his family. And we learn that while he's got Samantha tied up in the shed, he's smoking cigars, he's drinking booze, and he turns the music in the shed up so loud so that the people in the house, his girlfriend and his daughter, won't be able to hear any of the quote like unnatural sounds no here's the thing he is with her in this shed all night long doing horrible unspeakable things to her Mm -hmm. the music is so loud that you can't hear the screams the girlfriend or the daughter isn't coming out and saying hey dad can you turn the fucking music it's 4 a.m no neighbors are saying this this is what i'm thinking like that's why i thought the shed was so far away from the house in the woods somewhere right right right. no it's connected to the house in a neighborhood i can't imagine that israel keys and his girlfriend had a great relationship (laughs) so it might have been like don't disturb me while i'm in my man shed or whatever the fuck he's an asshole it was shocking to see how close to the house that shed was I couldn't believe it I know I know when your husband has a shed that he tells you not to go in go in that goddamn shed with the cops yeah you kick that door down yeah so you know how Samantha's been missing for two and a half weeks yes we're going back in time now we're gonna find out what happened to Samantha the entire time she's been gone yeah Israel Keys is like you want the story I'll tell you the story exactly so he leaves her in this shed and he goes back to get her phone and ATM card from the coffee stand right he climbs back in through the window it's all so terrifying. Right. He indicates to Samantha that his goal is to get money, and if he gets money, that he intends to let her go. There was no truth to that. He had no intention of letting her go. So he goes back to the shed, and the next morning he kills Samantha by strangulation and stabbing. And he laughs. I think in his words, he said, you got your monster. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. It's at this point that like the FBI starts saying to us, like, we had a real problem with Israel Keys' attitude. We didn't like it. But what they realize now is like, okay, he's done this before. This is not the first time because his demeanor was too casual and calm that they were like, wait a second. Right. Not his first time at the rodeo. And he's telling them that he is two people. Nobody in his life knows this other person but him. Everyone in my life is going to tell you I'm one way, but I'm really another. He's admitting to them that he's sick. Right. And the FBI, like, they realize that it's, he's saying like, you know, I've been two different people for a long time. And the FBI is like, that's code for I've been a murderer for a long time. And they're like, how long have you been this other person right, Israel yeah, and he's yeah. like oh 14 years <laughs> right. and they're like oh this explains a lot the yeah. 14 year bomb explains a lot how long have you been two different people <laughs> long time 14 years you know a lot of people throw the words psychopath or sociopath around but unless you've sat in a room with one you don't really understand 
how soul-jarring it could be to talk to somebody like this. So the FBI gets him to agree to tell them where Samantha's remains are for another Americano in a Snickers bar and a cigar. Yeah, I mean, he's predictable. Right. For, for a guy who doesn't have any patterns, he kind of does. That's true. So another thing that he tells them, you guys, it just gets worse. Just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Spoiler. He went on a cruise with his family for two weeks and left Samantha's body in the shed. She's dead at this point. He killed her. He killed her. He killed her the night that he took her. Right. And left her there for two weeks. The morning after the kidnapping, Israel Keys rolled her body up and stuck it in a box in his shed and then woke his girlfriend up and his child up, went to New Orleans, boarded a cruise ship, and then came back about two, two and a half weeks later. And it, since it was so cold in Alaska, her body froze. So when he gets home from the cruise, this is so terrible. He, quote, thawed her out. Yeah. Put makeup on her, braided her hair. Yeah. The same way he braids his daughter's hair. Remember we had the whole thing about how she doesn't do that. That's how the boyfriend of the dad knew that something fishy was up. Right. And then he takes the photo that he used in the ransom note that he left in the park. What this means is that she is dead in the photo that the dad was like identifying her and saying, yes, this is her. And maybe thinking that she was alive. Right. She was not alive. She had been dead for weeks. Yeah. It, it really it's, think. Let that sink in, you guys. And we also see a picture of Israel Cruz from this cruise. He's got like a lay around his neck. Ah. Uh, it's just fucking crazy. Ah. Uh, yeah. Also a cruise. God. I, I know. Isn't that like forced friendship on a cruise? Totally. Imagine sitting at his table at the buffet. Ah. Uh, uh, God. <laughs> Uh, look, imagine going back through your pictures from the cruise and there's mm -hmm. a picture of Israel Keys, my new buddy. Yeah. So they get Israel Keys to like for in exchange for like another cigar. Another round. Let's do <laughs> let's do one more. Let's do this one more time. Cigar, Americano, peanut butter. Peter Snickers. Snickers, he will tell them where he disposed of her body. Right. So he dismembered Samantha's body and goes to Matanuska Lake. A lot of ice fishermen out there. So he used that as a ruse to cut a hole in the ice and ultimately disposed of her body there. He's got to like drill a hole in the ice. Right. It's like the only place he knows of where it's not weird right. to drill a hole in the middle of a lake. Right. And put things down it. Ice fishing is so bizarre. I'm not saying it's weird or like in a bad way, but it's like you're standing on a lake and you're drilling a hole. That sounds counterintuitive to me. I only like it in Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, of course. That's it. Of course. Of course. I like the cold, but I don't want to sit in it. No. And fish. I know. I, that is, but I, I will watch Grumpy Old Men on like a snowy evening. Yeah, 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 totally. So the cops go to where Israel Key said the body was mm -hmm. and they enlist their like deep water divers. You yeah. guys, this ice is five inches thick and these guys are going diving. It's crazy. They say that they're operating under extreme conditions. Uh-huh. Yeah. We get to Lake Manuska and some FBI agents, they're kind of standing watch over a spot on the lake that Keys had directed them to. There was a fishing hole that was frozen over. I looked at that and I said, if she's here, we're going to find her. And they find her remains like really quickly. He, Samantha's remains were exactly where Israel Keys said they would be. And one of the FBI guys says to Israel Keys, like just off the cuff, like, well, when you dumped the body, did you at least catch any fish? Mm -hmm. And he says, yes. And not only that, oh, this is so awful. <sighs> he took the fish that he caught home. I took them home and ate them. So that really kind of turned my stomach as well, that this guy would 
you know, kind of he's disposing of a body, catching fish and going home and serving them to his family. Yeah. I mean, this is the level of like just deranged this person is. Yeah, and that's why they say we hear this a bunch of times in the next time on or previously, like in between commercials or whatever, right. <laughs> that one of the FBI people says people throw around the word evil, psychopath, sociopath. sociopath yeah. And that's fine, but you never truly know what that really means until you're sitting in a room with someone like Israel Keys and he tells you about the catfish he caught after dumping a body right. from that same water. Yeah. So now the FBI knows, like, okay, this is not the first time he's done this. Right. So, I mean, we even hear one of the FBI guys saying, like... As a diver, when you first place your hands on that person underwater to bring them home, you start to get a feeling that this is now beyond evidence in a case because... We are the first people to put our hands on that victim since the killer. You're happy, but how happy can you be when you've got a dismembered girl in front of you? Yay, we found her. (laughs) But also, like, you know, there can be closure, but it's the worst day on the job to find something horrible like this. So they're thinking, all right, there's a lot of closure to be had, a lot of justice to be done. Let's get this guy to talk. Now what he wants, he's like, all right, I'll talk. But he goes, I want this whole thing wrapped up and over with as soon as possible. He wants the death penalty. This bitch. (gasps) Ooh, the bell and this bitch at the same moment? Because now what he he thinks... it's a big day, you guys. I know, I know. This... Bitch, this idiot <laughs> is like, I want the death penalty and I want an execution date now. And I'm like, okay, um, so here's the thing about the death penalty, you idiot. Right. <laughs> it's horrible, but like, even like, thank God there are innocent people on death row right now. Right. Who are not being executed because that's not how the death penalty works. Exactly. And also, Alaska doesn't even have the death penalty. Right. The best, the best thing about the death penalty is that it takes years, which right. which gives us all this time to get people off death row who don't deserve to be there. Totally. You dummy. So he's like, yeah, um, I want the death penalty. Uh, make make a special exception for me, Alaska. And so the FBI is like, okay, this guy's kind of an idiot. So we're just going to exploit this. And then we said, hey, you want the death penalty. The best way to get it is to give us information about other crimes. And we'll try to move as quickly as possible. That's our promise to you. But you've got to give us something to get started. Otherwise, no one's going to take you seriously. You have to tell us where more bodies are buried. Who else you've gone after? Like, you got to give us more. And Israel Keys is fucking idiot. Falls for it. Right. But with one, he always has these, like, stipulations and things, like, just conditions. Yeah. And he's like, well, now, hold. okay, fine. Sure. So I get to pick my death penalty date? Perfect. And they're like, sure, Jan. Whatever. (laughs) And what he's really concerned about is his daughter Googling him. He is saying... Saying, like I want to keep this under wraps I'll give you names I'll give you bodies I'll give you locations but you got to keep my name out of it he's like I don't want the attention I don't want the attention yeah. but yet you know who he sounds like who he sounds like that girl in high school you know her yeah the one who's Megan? like yeah Megan <laughs> and she's always like I just hate the drama you know what I mean <laughs> I just hate the drama, but she's always in the middle of the drama. And it's like, Megan, sweetheart, you're the common denominator in the drama. You're the common denominator and you hate the drama. The drama seems to follow you. (laughs) Look in a mirror, sweetheart. You know what else I would just like to maybe just ask if documentaries like moving forward, like all of them. <laughs> From this moment forward? From this moment forward, I just as a viewer, like I have a note. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> yes, a million percent. 25 minutes after hearing about the rape and the murder and like then watching and hearing him laugh about it. Yes. I really don't care about his like <laughs> primitive upbringing. 
<laughs> After I know what a monster he is. Uh-huh. Israel Keys was second of 10 children. He was born in Kolb, Utah in 1978. When he was about five years old, his family moved. I really don't care. Uh-huh. If I'm watching the documentary, I know he's a monster, so I'm probably not going to care in the first five minutes. Uh-huh. But after I see him laughing about murder and rape, yeah. like, I super don't care about, totally. his, about his primitive upbringing in Utah and Washington or whatever. Yeah. I agree. I just don't care about it. Just I, a note. Take it if you want it. <laughs> Although now I'm being a massive hypocrite because he grew up on a mountain. Like literally, like I have in caps on a mountain, question mark. He was homeschooled and very isolated and not so and not socialized. Okay, the end. There you go. You have it. You know everything there is to know about Israel Keys, you guys. But the thing is, again, now I'm being a hypocrite. We do learn some interesting things about his parents. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> they were part of this thing called the Ark in Washington State. It's true. They are literally like registered by the Southern Poverty Law Center as like a white supremacist group. It's like them and all the people in Welcome to Leith, like the bad people in Welcome totally. to Leith, like they're on that same list. His humorless parents had a bunch of guns. Like They call his parents humorless. Humorless. I, I know. Humorless <laughs> with a bunch of guns, like that can't end well, can it? I know. If there's ever a documentary made about Daisy, the last thing that they would ever call Steve and me is humorless, right? Right? No. Those two loud gays. <laughs> in the theater district. <laughs> one, one loud gay. One, one perfectly mild-mannered and responsible gay. <laughs> yes. Shirt tucked in. Totally. So the FBI is realizing that, like, look, the only way we're going to get this guy to talk is we got to be nice. we gotta, we got to ply him with Americanos and Snickers bars. Right. And they're saying, like, you know, we see footage and they're like, are you done with that newspaper? Would you what? like a new one? When you see the videotapes, people are horrified with the fact that we're sitting down and we're talking to him like he's a normal human being. They're bringing him coffee and, like, pastries, treating him like another colleague at the table, when, of course, he's an accused murderer. But what other choice do we have? We've got to keep him talking. And we hear throughout this documentary that, like, journalists and everyone was like, well, I never, like, clutching their pearls, like, how could they be so nice to this person? And it's like, how could you, how can you be falling for this? They're trying to be nice to get information. Have you seen one episode of SVU? Like, honestly, good cop, bad cop. Right. So when these journalists are like, it was really sickening. It just was (laughs) sickening to me, Megan. All right, so a cigar, an Americano, and a peanut butter Snickers bar later, we have some more names. The names just keep coming, you guys. Yeah, he tells them about this murder that he committed in Vermont, Mm -hmm. which is 4,000 miles from where they are currently sitting in Anchorage, Alaska. Right. So this is when we learn about the couriers, Lorraine and Bill. Yeah, and they were like nice people. They both worked in the medical center at the university. Like, I think the husband, like, fixed the people. The wife fixed the animals. Like, they were just nice, (laughs) nice people who were just trying to have, like, a lovely lifestyle. On June 9th, 2011, the couriers failed to show up at their jobs. Nobody had any information. They just disappeared. Authorities said the couple's garage window was broken, Lorraine's 38 caliber handgun was missing, and the phone line to the home had been cut. And this is also where we learned that Israel Keys had planted kill kits all across the country. Yeah. And these kill kits were filled with like guns and cash and rope and duct tape. Right. And we get this monologue from the FBI about how like he's a serial killer unlike any other because of his delayed gratification that he would like go on a road trip and he would bury a kill kit somewhere knowing he'd come back for it like in two years. In fact, Keys had left a kit in the Burlington, Essex area when he was on his trip out east in 2009. And he would lie to his girlfriend or whoever he was with at the time and be like, I'm going to go on a trip with some old friends. And he says to the FBI people, he's like, I don't have old friends. Right. (laughs) 
right. I don't have anybody, let alone like old old timey pals in Vermont. Right. Like, no. This bucket, filled with instruments of death, sits dormant for over two years as Keyes returns to his daily life in Alaska, knowing that at some point he'll be back to use it. And in 2011, after two years of anticipation, Keyes returns to Vermont to get his horrific fix. He scoped out their house, and he he saw that they had all the signs of a house he could break into easily. Right. It looked like he, they didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a dog. So he cuts, like, the phone cord to the house because he feels like that will also cut any sort of, like, alarm system mm-hmm. at the same time. He gains access to the house by taking a fan out of a window in the garage. He used a crowbar that he found in the garage to break that glass. Once I was actually in the house, I was probably in the bedroom within five or six seconds. It really was a blitz attack on Bill and Lorraine who were sleeping in bed. Can you imagine the fucking terror? No. The, my mom's house looks just like this house. Oh, it's like God. a little ranch house. And I know that if you went in through the garage, you could be in the bedroom in four seconds. Right. And he laughs about this, too. He's laughing about how terrified they were, saying, like, you never expect this stuff to happen to you, LOL. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's kind of insane because he's right. He's it's like, totally right. You do never expect this shit to happen to you. Ugh. He went in fast. He went in armed. He took them captive put them in their own car. He had found an abandoned farmhouse that was very run down, and that's where he ended up taking Bill in the rain. This is my other question. Like, I know it's nobody's fault. People shouldn't be serial killers. Mm-hmm. Where are the neighbors? He breaks into the house. He ties these people up. He, he, like, has them tied their hands behind their backs and, like, drags them out into their own car and drives away. Nobody saw anything? Yeah, I don't know. I it's, don't know. It's horrible. And, you know, the rest of the story is that he drives them to a farmhouse, like, in the middle of nowhere, ties Bill to a thing in the basement. Lorraine almost gets away. Just crushing part was hearing about her very near escape. She started running, and I tackled her and uh, (laughs) roughed her up a little bit and tied her back up. She was feisty. She was, like, fighting the whole time. He calls her feisty. Yeah. She doesn't get away. He sexually assaults her, and then he kills both of them. And in the interview with the FBI, he's giving the location of this house where he did this. He's telling them where the bodies are in the basement. They get there. The house is just, like, gone. And he's laughing. So this is the place that was ultimately demolished and that we searched and did not find the bodies in. I had no idea. (laughs) And then all of the contents of this home that were demolished was taken to a landfill. Right. And the reason that I'm, like, slowing down on this story is because they have all of these local cops that are like searching the landfill. There was over 13,000 cubic yards of trash that was searched which translated into over 10,000 tons. I would not trade places with any other job during the time we were on that pile. I was in such humility to root around among trash and and try to try to find them. 10,000 tons of trash. You see pictures of these cops just like doing their jobs, trying to find these people's bodies. Yeah. And they don't. They don't. And they have the dogs come in and they, you know, alert on the scene that, yes, the bodies were here, but they just can't find them. And the cops are saying, like, I hope this is enough in some way. And they know it's not. Yeah. And it's just it's just kind of amazing to see these like these civil servants like digging through 10,000 tons of trash trying to like find some closure for this family. Right. Right. 
So somebody from the FBI leaks his name to the local Vermont press. Right. They're like, remember that guy that got arrested in Alaska for kidnapping that girl and he was gone for that whole crazy story? Yeah, like he's now connected to the murder of the couriers. Which was crazy information. Because it was like, wait, now he's a serial killer. Right. And the thing is, is that he didn't want his name out there. He wanted the death penalty yesterday. Right. So he gets wind of this because, of course, he's in prison and he can watch TV and have visitors. So everyone's like telling him that his name is out there. Also, who's visiting Israel Keys? (laughs) And he gets mad. The anonymity part of his life was so important that being outed by the TV network in Vermont was for him a major breach of trust. I'm getting a little bit ticked off. I told you from the get-go, before I told you where the freaking bodies were left, I told you that I didn't want the locals involved. And the first thing you do is make a big scene. And so now the FBI is saying that they think that this guy's like total body count is 11. Yeah. But they don't know for sure. I mean, there's even talk that he's connected to Maura Murray. Really? Yes, because this murder that they just were talking about happened in Vermont. Right. Which was around the same time that Maura Murray went missing in New Hampshire. Yeah. It's very unlikely, but there is talk that like maybe it was Israel Keys. And so we're learning there's these other cases. There's this prostitute who went missing in New York that they're pretty sure is connected to Israel Keys. Yeah. Yeah, like her name was on his computer and there's no way that he would have known about her. You know, he's, they say her name and his whole face changes. Right. So Jolene, the FBI agent, is like, look, to us, she's saying this, to camera. She's like, we think it, his body count is 11. He's giving us names. Yeah. But we can't necessarily connect them with any evidence other than like Israel Keys said so. Most serial killers are caught because their bodies pile up. But because Keys is so meticulous... All his victims essentially disappear. The reason he was such a successful killing machine was because he knew how to avoid getting caught. The only victim that we recovered is Samantha. And that's because he told us exactly where she was. He was very good at not leaving evidence. Like, he's very good at this. We don't want to give him any credit. Uh, me especially. I never want to give anybody any credit, especially when they're a murderer. But, like, they know that information because he gave it to them. Yeah, and so, you know, Israel Keys got super mad when he found out that his name had been leaked to the press, and so he shut down. And he's not talking anymore. He's not sharing any more information. They've got to build the trust back up with him. They have all of these cases they think might be connected to him. Right. And just as it's starting to get good, just as they're starting to think that, like, they're back in that rapport with him, he's going to start talking. And he's going to start leading them to kill kits like things are happening again right he somehow gets a hold of a razor Mm -hmm. in his jail cell and he kills himself yeah i know he didn't want to spend his life in jail and so the opportunity arose and i think he took the opportunity he was going to be looked at as a monster now i don't think he minded being looked at as a monster but ultimately because he was captured he was going to be looked at as a failure and that's what i think he didn't want. And we hear a piece of his suicide note and it's written like in rhyme. What's with these serial killers with the bad poetry? Haven't you done enough? Words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Feel the electric shock of my touch. Open your trembling flower or your petals I'll crush. 
the poetry. Give me a break. And like, it's so crazy because we'll just never know. There's at least six other bodies out there that they think are connected to him, but we'll probably never know for sure. Mm-hmm. There's God only knows how many kill kits buried out there somewhere that we'll never find. Right. And the whole Oxygen documentary is basically like a plea for help from you, the viewer. Right. So this is the whole thing. It kind of ends with like, if you have any information, if anybody that you know went missing at a time that corresponds with when we think Israel Keys might have been in your town. Yeah. Let us know, Call girl. us. Yeah. Oxygen at oxygen.com or whatever. <laughs> Israel Keys, you're garbage. But he's dead. But he's dead. But he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> he's dead now. I've been really wanting to cover Israel Keys. I, I don't know why. Fascinating is not the right word. You know how like you always want a different word for anniversary? Yeah, the anniversary. Kim Goldman taught us that. He, I am fascinated <laughs> with a TH. With a t- okay. <laughs> uh, you guys, once again, I don't have any more live shows to tell you about at the moment. Okay. Just get in the Patreon if you want more of Jillian and me. Yeah, and come to our after party. It's basically like a live show. We're just sitting and talking. It's sitting true. and talking. It's the same thing. If you want to hear like 90 full bonus episodes of Jillian and I mm-hmm. recapping episodes by episode making a murderer uh lorena staircase casey anthony serial the jinx oj made in america um is that everything <laughs> the disappears of madeline mccann queen of versailles and madonna's truth or dare and just like fun things we have a lot going on yeah. we have a lot of options there's something for everybody there's there. something for everybody check us out at patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or go to our website and click on the patreon link mm-hmm. girl what are we doing next we are doing Jody Arias, an American murder mystery. You guys, we're going to do this in two episodes again. It's a three-part series. Yeah, and we're going to do it in two episodes. It's going to be amazing. Yep. Girl, where can they find us? TrueCrimeObsessed.com. It's where you get your promo codes, see us live page. Merch. Merch, all of our episodes. My mom sent me a picture the other day. She was like, look at my new phone accessory. She bought a phone case. She did. <laughs> Oh, your mom. It's like, mom. Uh, girl, where can they find me? Patrick Hines, at Patrick Hines on the Twitter and at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram. And they can find you at Jillian with a G on all the things. Yay. We love you guys. We love you. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around for the trailer for Jody Arias and American Murder Mystery mm-hmm. and then our amazing and hilarious outtakes. Tim, 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 Tim. We love you. We love you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Do you have any questions I can answer for you? Yeah, do you know when all this happened? I mean, I got a call last night, but is there any word on... Um, sometime between Thursday and last night. We're, we're not sure yet. We haven't pinpointed yet. I mean, maybe you can't talk about this, but was there, um, was there, like, any kind of weapon used? Was there a gun? Was there... I can't say what type of weapon was used, but yeah, I, I, I'm guessing there was a weapon used by the type of injuries that were left behind. Um, do, do you know of him having any weapons at all in the house? Um, his two fists. It's one of the most outrageous tales in recent history. This case had all the elements. Passion, lust, betrayal. 30-year-old Travis Alexander is found murdered in his own home. This was someone that had the physical strength to overpower him. In this three-part special, we'll take you deep inside the investigation. Travis was the perfect young man, very devout religiously. A whirlwind romance. Within two months of meeting Travis Alexander, Jody Arias has decided to become a Mormon. Turned fatal attraction. We knew there was a vibe about her that we just didn't like. Go inside the interrogation room. 
That's you. All of you. That looks like me. All the evidence is pointing to Jody Arias. And we explore the details that made this the most sexually charged trial in history. Did you believe him to have an interest in young boys? Yes. Travis was sort of living this dual life. He's the abuser. He's the pervert. There's no reason for it. There's no reason I would ever want to hurt him. Loves a Snickers bar. Peanut butter Snickers and a cigar and an Americano. Oh, Americano too. By the way, that is the grossest coffee. Yeah. It's espresso and water. Just have like the water. Get a French press girl. Get a Frenchie. (laughs) Again, I don't know why I'm just in the office, but I thought you were going to quote Dwight and be like, what a loser. Get a friend, loser. (laughs) You said get a, and I was like, get a friend, loser. (laughs) <laughs> the drama seems to follow you. Uh, That's my drag name. Uh, um, I, I literally have in my notes, Keys' backstory. Oh, my God. Here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> Every documentary, we're like, you know, we don't care about this whole part. <laughs> you know how you can make our episodes 20 minutes shorter? Take this part out of the documentary. Yeah. But th- <laughs> just don't, like, just don't kill things that are alive. Like, I just don't understand. I- <laughs> <laughs> just don't kill things that are alive. Makes me think if you can't do that on television. Yes, Moose, remember? Hey, Moose. We just came back from Canada, so we're just all about the you can't do that on television. We did talk about you can't do that on television for like 20 minutes while we were in Canada. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. All the slime comes. And then Grumpy Earl Men with Anne Margaret. No, she's in the first one. Sophia Loren is in the second one. Sorry, everybody. I'm getting my Grumpy Old Men confused. Like, are we in another instance where we have to define consent to somebody? Because not today. I know. No. 